MSW Media. News was Daily beans, daily beans, daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, July 15th, 2020. Today, the Trump administration reverses its order to deport international students that don't attend in-person classes in the fall. Aguilan Maxwell's bail is denied and she's remanded into custody until trial next July. Kaludi Rudy tweets with his butt again. The White House laid a trap to catch leakers. New messaging from the administration about joblessness. Mary Trump is now free to publish and speak. The Southern District of New York U.S. Attorney Jeffrey Berman's transcript is released. And top Mueller prosecutor Andrew Weissman is also writing a book. I'm your host, A.G., and joining me today is Jordan Cobert. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's a huge news day today. It is a really big news day. I don't even know if I'm going to be able to get all the breaking news in today. Right. Um but uh, there's just so much of it. But um, before we get to the news, uh, I think we need to reel it in with corrections. It's a mistake. It's hard for me to say I'm sorry. Oh, I made a mistake. All right, so we have two major corrections from yesterday and an apology. First of all, the USS Bonhomme Richard is not a nuclear boat. It is a conventional steam turbine boat. I am a bad sailor for not knowing that. I apologize. And <laughs> bad uh, the Cowboys, the Cowboys, I misled you, Jordan. The Cowboys do not play the football team from Washington, D.C. every Thanksgiving. Uh, in 2016, they had met eight times on the holiday as they were slated and, and they were also slated to play each other this year as well. I think just that every time I looked up and, uh, you know, D.C. was playing the Cowboys, I was like, what the fuck? Got and so it. I thought it was every year. But it is not every single year. The Lions do play every year. Even still? Yeah, I know. Yeah, like they shouldn't Even do still, it ever. Like, they shouldn't do it ever on right. Thanksgiving. <laughs> right. And and so, uh, but the Lions do play uh, every year and they usually lose. So I just wanted to throw that in there. Haha, <laughs> Detroit. Um, anytime a Cleveland Browns fan has occasion to dump on another team it's always uh, important that you take that opportunity yeah your your team your your team sucks huh <laughs> yeah they suck really really hard uh just kidding it's uh, uh but but our quarterback isn't a trump supporter <laughs> so that's nice are you referencing tom brady i was well he's gone so that no longer stands <laughs> <laughs> and i'm sure you hated them the whole time he was there no i thought he was hot um, as fuck and the best but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what a dick though um also i know it's just like don't talk yeah um but I also wanted to apologize. Yesterday, we used the team name from Washington, D.C., the very offensive racist team name. We used it about six times in our reporting yesterday, and we shouldn't have done that. And so I do apologize. We won't do it again. Hopefully that name will never be heard again now that they are getting rid of it. And uh, I'm sorry that we used it. So I just wanted to put that out there. And also, I wanted to bring attention to... Uh, an LGBTQ plus owned small business in North Park. I've talked about it before. It's called Santos Coffee. They're an amazing local business. They're struggling in this pandemic. Their PPP is gone. 
And if anyone can lend a hand, or if you know anybody uh, in the San Diego area, uh, or if you want to help out, get a hold of Santos. They're uh, they're on Thorn Street in North Park, and they could uh, you know they could use um, any encouragement or help or uh, you know marketing that you can throw their way. They're an absolutely wonderful wonderful uh, local coffee shop, and and I would hate to see. I would hate to see them have, you know, go under because of, of what's going on in the government, federal government's inability to act. And of course, people's inability to act right and wear a mask, which is, uh, again, forcing them to shut down now again. So again, they're called Santos. It's on Thorn Street in San Diego. Check them out. And one of our own patrons is an incredible visual artist. Her name is Gail Christopher. And she has pieces for sale to help fund the veterinarian bills for the litter of quarantine kittens that she's caring for, her and Tall Man are caring for. You can check her amazing art out at facebook.com slash art by G Christopher. That's art by G, letter G, Christopher. Uh, it's really, really incredible. Uh, I know, Jordan, she sent us a bunch of, of her work, and mm-hmm. I absolutely love it. So good. All right. We have a lot of headlines to squeeze in today, so let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. First headline today. Beans come true. Uh, Epstein's co-conspirator, Ghislaine Maxwell, a.k.a. Life in the Ghislaine, was arraigned this morning in New York. The AUSA presented her case, stating that she was a, that, that Ghislaine was a flight risk and that because of her hidden and opaque finances that no one can really trace, it was impossible to determine her, determine her ability to flee the country or go into hiding, and therefore no bail conditions exist that would work. The judge agreed and remanded uh, Ghislaine into custody with her trial to begin July 21st of 2021, next year. So now it's up to Barr's Bureau of Prisons to keep her alive until then. God, put a freaking feed on her, like, right now. Seriously. Yeah, like eight feeds. I mean, where she's being held, I, I'm not, I don't know the institution well enough, but is there, do you think we have any hope of having a confidence that something sketchy isn't going to happen with her at this point in time? I really don't know. Yeah. I really, I honestly can't, I, have, can't, I can't have any idea. Uh, I imagine if something happened to her, that would be, I mean, Epstein was fishy enough. If something happened to her as well, come on. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, 100% the Epstein shit is incredibly fishy. I feel like this This feels like another another iteration of us knowing very well that something horrible could be coming and a miscarriage of justice is coming, could be coming, and this is the time to do something to stop it. And I see virtually uh, no headlines coming out about steps being taken to ensure her safety so that this trial can finally continue to some sort of end to get some sort of closure for victims. But I don't see that happening right now, and it's it's really, really frustrating. Yeah, it's extremely frustrating. You have an extremely frustrating story. I do. It's going to be a frustrating block for me today. Um, yes, I do. So... Uh, I have a couple frustrating stories, but the first one I'll go over is related to Jeffrey Berman's ouster that was coordinated entirely by Bill Barr. And as we know, when Berman got ousted from his position, it was reported uh, by Barr that he had resigned. And Berman very quickly came out and said, no, I did not resign. And we got some more details about what went down with that execution of Barr's plan and how Berman was 
receiving it, basically. Um, he testified, Berman testified to Congress, and some of his his full statement has, has been released. And so in the opening statement, we which we already uh, saw, he, he basically said he talked with Barr on the afternoon of June 19th, and then he talked again to him that same night. And he declined uh, Barr's requests for him to take a different job. Berman said that the two of them were talking, uh, to, they were planning on talking the following day, but then instead what Barr did was release that statement two hours later, two hours after that phone call, falsely claiming that Berman had stepped down and no longer was going to head SDNY. So what really happened, uh, as we know, is Barr tries to dangle, you know, this option of him leaving as an attractive option for him, and he's like, I'm not having that, and we learn more about how he wasn't having it and why he wasn't having it. The guy that he, that Barr was saying he wanted to replace him with, the, both of the guys that he was suggesting, um, Berman was like, these guys don't even have the experience, you know, necessary to take up this position, but if you want to go through the whole process of confirming these people and you you do it right basically i'll go without a peep i won't say anything you can just have that happen and i'll respect the process but bar didn't do that and so berman is basically coming out saying like dude i gave you one i gave you one condition to fucking get me out of here which clearly was a move that was done because Berman was investigating people that are in Trump's inner circle and was just circling in even closer, you know, on the, on Trump's ties to this Cohen hush money payment deal, the campaign finance violation. So it's, it's clear to everybody involved that Berman was not a friend to the people in the Trump administration. And so when Berman is saying, hey, just do the right thing, just do it the technically right way and I'll shut up, and Barr didn't do that, now we see Berman coming out and, and talking and I just I part of me is like it's so satisfying to see this all so explicitly played out it couldn't have been more cut and dry and Barr just completely shot himself in the foot on this one like at every step of the way and unfortunately he's getting away with it which really sucks at least for now but some of the things that uh, Berman was saying to Congress he said quote I told the attorney general in that meeting you know even though I said, you know, Clayton was unqualified, I said, look, if he's nominated and confirmed, I'm stepping away without a peep. I respect the process. I told the attorney general that I would not make a peep, not make a noise if the normal process was adhered to, which would be a nomination and confirmation of a candidate for the United States attorney. Um, I told expressly uh, the attorney general in that meeting he would not hear a peep out of me. So he's just consistently saying this over and over and over again. Just I, I told him this one thing. And he did not do it. And um, it's it's just so it's so nuts to me that Barr botched that corrupt process so badly. Like he could have gotten away with it, you know. He he truly could have gotten away with it, at least to some degree. As at least as far as Berman's concerned. But now Berman's like, no, fuck that shit. I told him, I told him to do it right, and he won't do it right. So that's you had one job yes you you had yeah you had one job Ki kind of shitty that I, I mean like i was it's kind of shitty that bourbon had that opinion because to me it would be so incredibly clear that he was he was getting pushed out of that position for the sole purpose of not continuing to prosecute people that are close to trump but 
I mean, when you're in that position and you, you know, you take the oath and you represent the Justice Department, there, there's so much of that that we've seen throughout the Mueller investigation and still continuing. And I think that will always continue, which is this adherence to policy and procedure. But Barr couldn't even do that. The nomination even like blindsided Lindsey Graham, the guy that they put up for nomination, wound up getting vetoed by the New York senators anyway. So like... He couldn't even go through. That's another element of this that's coming out is he didn't like, like did the team, did Barr's team not even do the basic research to understand that this man wasn't going to even be remotely considered. So this, this whole argument he's trying to make of trying to give this, this specific guy this position because he was, you know, a specific choice um of bars for some sort of special reason just is continuously undermined by the fact that he immediately got vetoed and also he didn't even wind up taking the post there was that that you know there's the guy that's put it in the interim too so clearly he didn't care about the post immediately being filled by that person he just wanted Berman out and that's become increasingly clear with the release of that testimony to congress mm-hmm. well it's um it's corruption at the highest levels. And, it, and, and and when you botch corruption that badly, it just it becomes insane that it's not a bigger story. It's it's weird. Yeah. Um, and next in Axios and an Axios exclusive President Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, has told several White House staffers that he has fed specific nuggets of information to suspected leakers to see if they pass them on to reporters, a trap that would confirm his suspicions. Uh, Meadows told me he was doing that, said one former White House official. I don't know if it ever worked. So I have this friend who is a new student this year. I convinced her that it would be fun to mess up Regina George's life. So I had her pretend to be friends with Regina, and then she would come to my house after, and we would just laugh about all the dumb stuff Regina said. And uh, we gave her these candy bar things that would make her gain weight, and we turned her best friends against her. And then, uh, oh yeah, Katie, you know my friend Katie, she, uh, she made out with Regina's boyfriend and then convinced him to break up with her. Oh God, and we, we gave you foot cream instead of face wash. And, oh God. I am so sorry, Regina. Really, I I don't know why I did it. I guess it's probably because I've got a big lesbian crush on you. Suck on that! So this hunt for leakers has put some White House staffers on edge, with multiple officials telling Axios that Meadows has been unusually vocal about his tactics. So far, he's caught only one person for a minor leak. Trump has made clear to Meadows that an important part of his job is to find the leakers, a wickedly difficult task that has plagued all three of Meadows' predecessors. Trump is especially furious about two recent leaks of classified sensitive information. First, the Politico uh, information that Russians were paying Taliban bounties to kill American soldiers. And uh, Trump was enraged when the New York Times reported the Secret Service rushed him down to the bunker during the protest outside the White House. He was fuming over those two stories, wanted to know where they leaked from. Uh, so far, Meadows has yet to deliver on either of those high-priority leak hunts. So, interesting. Don't you hate it when the shit you actually did gets reported on? That's a, that's such a bummer. <laughs> I hate being held accountable. <laughs> hmm. And uh, you have another story for us, right? I do, yeah. So this is another frustrating story. There's uh, confirmed reporting coming out that a 15-year-old has been sent back to juvenile detention in the middle of the COVID pandemic because she violated her probation. But the reason that was given um, was that 
her violation of probation entailed her not doing her homework. That's literally it. She did nothing else. The judge in this case, so she had originally, this is this happened in Michigan. She had originally gotten incarcerated in May for for violating her probation um, for, sorry, not originally. She wound up getting incarcerated in May for violating that probation by not completing her online coursework before what she had originally you know, gotten in trouble for was fighting and stealing. And so her, the judge that oversees her case, her name is, let me find her name, Judge Mary Ellen Brennan. So she said that she found Grace, is her name, guilty on failure to submit to any schoolwork and getting up for school. And she called Grace a threat to the community, citing those previous assault and theft charges that led to her being incarcerated in the first place. Um, she went on to say she hasn't fulfilled the expectation with regard to school performance. I told her she was on thin ice and I told her that I was going to hold her to the letter to the order of the probation. So... You have a kid who was already punished for her previous actions, winds up, winds up, you know, going home, being on probation in the middle of a pandemic, and then doesn't do her fucking homework. She also has ADHD and it's just not an ideal learning environment for anybody, you know, and it's certainly not something that should... The fact that it's being criminalized is just the most blatant example of the court system's dedication to preserving that school to prison pipeline that we talked about it's disgusting that she is using not doing schoolwork as an excuse to send this person back to jail and also the justification she uses for sending her back is the things that she did initially that she had already like done time for like how do you even how do you even do that how are you even allowed to say hey you're in trouble for doing this thing, for not doing your fucking work, but I'm de- I'm deeming you like a menace to society because of the things you already did and were punished for. It doesn't make any mm. sense to me. And it also goes against something Governor Gretchen Whitmer had issued an executive order about back in March, which uh, temporarily suspended the confinement of juveniles who violate probation unless directed by a court order and encouraged eliminating any form of detention or residential placement unless a young person posed a substantial and immediate safety risk to others. So I guess this judge is trying to say that Grace poses that substantial and immediate safety risk to others, again, for the crimes that she did that she already had paid for. So yeah, I hope that there's action around this and and that you know you know this isn't the only case of something like this happening the whole juvenile detention system i can't even believe it exists it's like it is so overused and so a tool to just incarcerate black youth from a young age and it's really really fucking sad and it fucked me up reading that story today yeah it's um that you know pipeline to prison shit that We've seen for decades and decades and decades. Yep. Um, 
Well, thank you for sharing that. Uh, I have some late breaking news from CNN. Uh, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg was just admitted to the Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore early this morning for treatment of a possible infection. She was initially evaluated by Sibley Memorial Hospital in Washington, D.C. last night after experiencing fever and chills. She underwent an endoscopic procedure at Johns Hopkins this afternoon to clean out a bile duct stent that was placed last August. Uh, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg is resting comfortably. She'll stay in the hospital for a few days to receive intravenous antibiotic treatment. We will keep you posted on that. And also today, the White House is unveiling its new messaging uh, to respond to the devastating job loss. 50 million people are out of work due to Trump's disastrous mismanagement of the COVID outbreak in the United States. Their new message is, if you've lost your job, just, quote, try something new, unquote. Um. Try something new. That's their, that, which makes no sense if you think about it. Because if everybody's out of work and there's only a few people hiring, are you going to hire the person that doesn't have any experience or the hundreds and hundreds of people who do that are looking for that job? I mean, it's, it's absolutely the most ridiculous and, and it's the stupidest thing I've, I've heard. And so many people, we talked about this yesterday, 5 million plus people, 5.9 million people have lost their insurance because we tie in this country insurance, health insurance to employment, which we should not do either. And so it's creating, there's this massive snowball effect going on here. This new messaging is from the same brilliant strategists that brought you such classics as live with it in response to the U.S. being the global hotspot for the pandemic and... Testing causes COVID in response to the record number of cases, which is well over 60,000 a day now. And if that weren't enough, Trump has ordered hospitals now to bypass the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and, beginning Wednesday, send all coronavirus patient information to a central database in Washington, a move that has alarmed public health experts who fear the data will be distorted for political gain. Yeah, it will. Uh, the new instructions are contained in a little notice document posted this week for the Department of Health and Human Services website. F uh, from now on, HHS and not the CDC will collect daily reports about the patients that each hospital is treating, how many beds and ventilators are available, and other information vital to tracking the pandemic. News of the change came as a shock inside the CDC, which has long been responsible for gathering public health data. And that's according to two officials who spoke on the condition of anonymity because they were not authorized to discuss it. A spokesman for the disease control centers referred questions to the Department of Health and Human Services, which has not responded to a request for comment. Uh, this dispute exposes the vast gaps in the government's ability to collect and manage health data, which is an antiquated system at best. And that's according to experts. And uh, that's news from under the radar. So uh, we'll be right back with a discussion about Stone's commutation with Joyce White Vance, where you can listen to me change my mind on whether Mueller should testify before the Senate judiciary when I'm provided with new information. Scandalous. <laughs> the change in beans is right on the other side of this break. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey everybody, it's AG. Today's episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by BetterHelp. If there's something that's interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals, I recommend trying BetterHelp. BetterHelp wants you to start living happier life today. BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's actual licensed professional counseling done securely online. They'll assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating in under 24 hours. Everyone can use some help, especially right now. There's a lot of horrible news, and everyone's very anxious. We're in lockdown. Personally, I've sought support dealing with my PTSD. I'm a huge believer in seeking help when you need it. And BetterHelp service is available for clients worldwide with a broad range of expertise in their counselor network. A lot of experts that might not be available locally in your area. 
You can log on to your account from anywhere, anytime, and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, and you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change your counselor if you need to. And it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. Visit their website and read their testimonials, like this one by BetterHelp user ST, who says, Jenna is incredible. She's incredibly insightful and a tremendous communicator. Can't believe how well she understands me and how well she communicates how I'm feeling. Better than I even can sometimes. I highly recommend. Thank you. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, and join the over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer for Daily Beans listeners. Get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. All right, everybody, welcome back. Joining me today to discuss her new opinion piece about the commutation of Roger Stone's sentence in USA Today is University of Alabama law professor, former U.S. attorney and MSNBC contributor, Joyce Vance. Joyce, it's so good to talk to you again. Thanks for speaking with me today. It's always good to be with you. So, Joyce, in this piece that you wrote, you call the commutation a win for Trump and Stone, but a terrible loss for the rule of law and American justice. Can you explain that? I think this commutation is unprecedented because of the president's personal involvement in the situation that led to the crimes Stone was convicted of. And we all know this, right? This isn't rocket science. I mean, we all get the concept that nobody should be able to pardon someone to keep them from testifying against them. And that's essentially what Trump has done here with a little twist. This is a commutation, not a pardon, which is a very clever effort to keep some uh, uh, aggressive prosecutor from putting Stone into a grand jury and, and compelling his testimony which uh, can't have happen absent a grant of immunity to him uh, with his case still on appeal. So that's sort of a little bit of legal mumbo-jumbo at the end. But the bottom line here is that the president wins. Roger Stone is not in, in prison. The president can sleep easy knowing that Stone doesn't have a massive incentive to go to law enforcement and offer uh, to cooperate. And the rule of law and American citizens lose because we didn't learn the truth. And that, after all, is what the criminal justice system is about. It's about finding the truth and imposing accountability. Mm, yeah, 100 percent. And I, I also, along that track, I wanted to thank you in this piece for pointing out the very deliberate language uh, in Bob Mueller's response, uh, which was published in The Washington Post. I was very surprised. I, I We don't expect him to, to speak up very often uh, or very forcefully. But more specifically, uh, the deliberate language in his statement that, quote, the campaign expected it would benefit electorally from information stolen and released through Russian efforts. Why is that important, that statement? Well, I think first, as you point out, it's surprising that Mueller spoke up. You need to understand that for him to do that, he's only done it one or two other times, only when he believed that the truth was being tortured beyond tolerable limits. And so here, when the president made his statement and made the commutation condemning the work that was done by prosecutors, Mueller felt the, the need, the compelling need to speak up. And it's because there was clear evidence that Stone was conveying evidence about Russian activities intended to intrude on the outcome of our elections, and that he was communicating that to Trump. And it was Stone's perjury, Stone's uh, efforts to keep witnesses from testifying, 
Stone's participation in efforts decided uh, uh, designed to obstruct justice that kept Mueller from having an indictable case. And, and so I think all too often Mueller is sort of demonized for having not been strong enough, but Mueller played by the rules. Mueller acted like we live in a democracy where the rules matter. And after all, that's how you have to act if you do want there to still be rules at the end of the day. Mueller had faith that the American democracy was strong enough to weather even Donald Trump. And that, I think, makes his uh, decision to speak up here in the Washington Post all the more compelling. Uh, yeah, 100 percent. And I, I wanted to also ask you, because, you, you know, along these lines of, you know, it's important uh, that, you know, Roger Stone, we know that Roger Stone had obstructed large swaths of this investigation, which is, again, why he was convicted, one of the one of the charges of his conviction. But Andrew Weissman, one of the lead prosecutors, is apparently writing a book where he is saying we could have done more. But you discuss in this piece here, we know Stone was a key figure in the Russia investigation. And, and Mueller had said um, Stone, quote, communicated in 2016 with individuals known to be Russian intelligence officers, and he claimed advanced knowledge of WikiLeaks release of emails stolen by those Russian intelligence officers. Why, why is that important when weighing why Mueller was unable to prove conspiracy? And do you think, do you agree with Andrew Weissman that they could have done more? I mean, we, you and I talked about they should subpoena Trump and bring him in and depose him. But I mean, you know, just here and there, some uh, quote unquote mistakes made by the Mueller investigation. So I haven't read Andrew's book yet. Um, I don't know what his argument will be and if he believes that they made mistakes and could have gone further. One uh, possibility that we all, I think, need to be sensitive to is the Trump administration was so unprecedented. And everyone goes into a new administration with some trepidation, but also with some willingness to cut folks slack early on. At the point in time where Bob Mueller took over this investigation and people came on board, people didn't know what we know today about the Trump administration and its willingness to be utterly lawless. And so some of the decisions that were made early on were decisions that would have been made in a presidency that, if not a normal presidency, was at least within the parameters of what we expect, even from a quote-unquote bad presidency. No one realized the extremes to which this president would go to obstruct justice. And so I'll be very interested to see what Andrew has to say. The DOJ standard for indicting a case is that you have to have su sufficient evidence to obtain a conviction and to sustain it. That means to get a jury verdict and to have the conviction stand up on appeal. And the appellate scrutiny a couple years down the road is really a very important piece of that, particularly with the president as the defendant. I think uh, a lot of people want to um, sort of armchair jockey for, for Bob Mueller, but I said at the time, and I'll continue to say that I'm willing to trust his decision, I think he perhaps had a misplaced faith in Congress's willingness to pick up the mantle and fulfill its Article One obligation to impeach. Yeah, I agree with that, Joyce. And, uh, but I wanted to ask about all of Roger Stone's other crimes, the ones that weren't charged. Uh, of People seem to be thinking that, oh, they could be charged later. They might be charged in a new administration. I, I don't know that that's necessarily the case. 
Uh, but those charges weren't brought. And I think and what Mueller is saying pretty deliberately in, in the piece that he wrote was that he, he he didn't because of the obstruction. They weren't able to. Do you agree with that? The answer is it's hard to know for certain, but I tend to agree. In the Mueller report itself, Mueller said that the decisions that he had made uh, were often uh, uh, compelled by the fact that they had had great difficulty getting evidence. People lied to them. People withheld evidence. People destroyed evidence. People stored evidence outside of the country. And he said that if they had had access to information that was withheld, they might have viewed the facts differently than they did. So we don't know who he's referring to. And there are any number of possibilities of, you know, a person or multiple people who could have engaged in that sort of obstructive conduct. The fact that they actually indicted Stone for a con- conduct that across the board involves obstruction uh, as opposed to just the specific charge of obstruction that seems to indicate that he's within that group of folks. Yeah. And and another thing that really just kind of stuck in my craw uh, is Trump's assertion that Stone and others like Flynn and Manafort, and you bring this up in your piece, only committed, quote, process-based crimes. And do you think he's been successful, Trump has, in minimizing that those crimes actually strike at the core of our justice system? They're very important charges, some of the m- more important charges, at least I think as seen in the eyes of judges and people who work in the system. Trump is so very good at getting people to adopt his bumper stickers and his slogans. I wish he was half as good at governing as he uh, is at confusing people and at misleading people. He was successful with this. You'll remember that there was outrage early on in the Mueller investigation when charges involving perjury and obstruction first started uh, being bandied about for different people in Trump's inner circle. And very early on, Trump seized on this notion that they were just process crimes. You know, people didn't really know what that meant. Non-lawyers, probably a lot of lawyers didn't know what it meant, but it sounded good. If it's just process, maybe it's not very substantive. And of course, nothing could be further from the truth, as prosecutors have explained, until we're all blue in the face. These crimes, whether it's obstruction of justice, whether it's perjury, whether it's lying to FBI agents, These are all crimes that go to the integrity of the justice system. And they, too, can be very difficult crimes to prove because you have to have specific statements. You have to have intent. You have to have proof that the speaker knew that they were false or intended to obstruct. But the reality is that our criminal justice system cannot work if prosecutors and investigators are unable to find the truth. So if people don't comply with subpoenas or if people lie or if people threaten other witnesses to keep them out of court. These are grave and serious uh, serious legal offenses. And for the president to suggest otherwise signals to us now and should have signaled to us at the time how fully irresponsible he was, that for him this has always been about self-preservation, not about governing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's like when he said, uh, I didn't I didn't obstruct justice. I was just punching back. I was just standing up for myself. Uh, it's kind of the same sort of subversion of the rule of law. Um, That's such a perfect example, that statement. Yeah. And, and I remember that stuck out to me uh, as well. And then you know, finally, we know Lindsey Graham is now saying, uh, oh, go ahead, Mueller, you can testify now. He's been blocking it this whole time in the Senate Judiciary Committee. Uh, do you think 
Uh, Mueller should come in and answer questions. I mean, now that he's sort of free to talk about the Stone case, since it's not open and ongoing, or, I mean, a lot of people have mixed feelings about this. Well, the Stone case is still ongoing. The conviction itself is on appeal. So Mueller is actually no more free to talk about it. Uh, I don't see any reason that he has to come. As he has repeatedly said, the report and the uh, product of the report speaks for itself. It seems to me that this timing is perhaps more to uh, uh, create a sideshow in advance of the election, that it's more about politics than it is about prosecution. Lindsey Graham, as a former prosecutor, should have more sense than that. But I, I think that we've learned, unfortunately, he doesn't. Yeah, we have learned that. That's really good to know. I thought that since, you know, we had uh, unredacted a bunch of the Stone information in the Mueller report, uh, that uh, he'd be free to discuss it. But I guess you're saying that because the case is now under appeal, it is still open and ongoing. Well, I think that's fair. He could talk about unredacted parts of the report, but as far as details of the prosecution go, uh, I I would not want to have an investigator or a prosecutor discussing that while it was still on appeal with the possibility of a new trial coming up, because anything that he says could be used by Stone down the road to argue for for prejudice or other sorts of uh, error. And so If I was still in the department and the lawyer advising Bob Mueller, I'd say, you know, let's tell Senator Graham you'll come at the appropriate time, but this isn't it. Mm. Yeah, the same reason that uh, he didn't say Trump was a liar or a criminal, so that he didn't, uh, you know, uh, taint future prosecutions. Although I did love when Ken Buck asked if if the president could be, could you know, tried or, you know, prosecuted after he leaves office and, and Mueller surprised the hell out of him with a, yeah, mm-hmm, yes. I mean, you know, it's a difficult situation. And I think maybe without passing over this, we should make the point explicitly. Everybody's gone to their corner. Everybody's gone to their side on these issues. And and people's views and attitudes are baked in. And what has kept this country afloat for so long is the fact that we've all agreed that no matter what was going on in the moment, it was worth keeping the country afloat at the end. So we've never dealt with issues in a way that was so divisive that we couldn't move forward together after they were over, even during Watergate, even during Iran-Contra. This was always how we functioned as a nation. And so Bob Mueller is old school in the sense that he believes that you have to play by the rules if you still want there to be a game left to play at the end when it's over. The concern is that there are some folks on the other side who are just willing to burn it all down. And, uh, you know, this is going to be difficult for people to accept down the road that we still have to treat fairly and play by the rules with people who didn't. I think this is a very dangerous place for the country to be, and there will be difficult issues if Joe Biden wins in November involving who might get prosecuted and, and what for. So we are headed into, I think, a very difficult time for our democracy. Yeah, I think it might upset a lot of people if we kept quiet kept our secrecy on, kept our game face uh, in in these proceedings and to no end. Uh, You know, I I would be next year. I think everyone would be happy uh, with with the uh, level of, I guess, holding back the cautiousness uh, of the Mueller investigation and those around him and those in the intelligence community if it bore fruit. Uh, So we'll see. We'll see how it ends up. And of course, the ultimate fruit that it could bear that I would hope it would bear would be 
exposing Russia's efforts to interfere in our elections and having an administration that was committed to telling Russia, no, you can't do this, and to putting the resources that were necessary into protecting elections to publicly striking back, I look forward to a president who won't shake Putin's hand and take his soccer ball. Well, I think not a soccer ball. I definitely think we'll have that if we go out and vote in numbers too big to manipulate this November. Um, University of Alabama law professor, former U.S. attorney and MSNBC contributor Joyce Vance. Joyce, tell everyone where they can find you. Well, I'm uh, on Twitter. I'm at Joyce White Vance, uh, and I write periodically for uh, different online platforms, including Time and this piece that's out today with uh, USA Today. And next time we get together, we definitely have to talk about your baby chickens. I've promised people. so. Oh, they're so sweet. We should have spent the whole hour talking about the peeps. <laughs> I know. The peeps. Oh, the pod peeps. I absolutely love it. Uh, well, they're thank you really for- adorable. Next time we'll podcast with the peeps peeping in the background. Beautiful. I look forward to it. Thanks again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And coming up next, as we reported yesterday, Lindsey Graham has given the thumbs up for Bob Mueller to testify to the Senate Judiciary. We'll be right back with Glenn Kirshner to find out why he thinks Mueller shouldn't testify. So stay with us. Hey friends, AG here. This portion of Daily Beans is brought to you by our sponsor, CarShield. These days, computer systems rule our cars, and they are essential from electronically uh, controlled transmissions and touchscreen displays to dozens and dozens of sensors. But you can't fix any of those new features yourself anymore. Not like back in the 80s when I could crawl into the hood of my truck, into my Ford F-250 with a wrench and like a screwdriver and just fix whatever was wrong. So now if something breaks, it could cost a fortune. And now is not the time for expensive repairs. Dealing with tech-related car stuff is a huge pain. Personally, I had to fix the display screen recently, and it cost me a small fortune, and it affected multiple systems in my car, and the repairs took forever. That's why I have CarShield. I love that CarShield understands that payment flexibility is essential. They have monthly plans that can be customized to fit your needs. CarShield's affordable protection plans can save you thousands for covered repair on computers, GPS, electronics, and more, with no long-term contracts or commitments, which I love. CarShield gives you options others don't. Uh, You get to choose your favorite mechanic or dealership to do the work for you, and CarShield takes care of the rest. They also offer complimentary 24-7 roadside assistance and a rental car while yours is being fixed. CarShield has helped over 1 million customers to drive with confidence, knowing you got coverage from America's number one auto protection company. For as low as $99 per month, you can protect yourself from surprises and save thousands for covered repair. Call 800-CAR-6000 and mention code DAILYBEANS or visit carshield.com and use code DAILYBEANS to save 10%. That's carshield.com, code DAILYBEANS. A deductible may apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. So we just talked to Joyce and she thinks that uh, Bob Mueller probably there's no reason for him to testify. And joining me today to discuss this further is former federal prosecutor and MSNBC contributor Glenn Kirshner. Glenn, as you know, we recently learned Lindsey Graham is now totally cool with having Bob Mueller testify to Congress where he previously had blocked it, considering Mueller uh, you know, I had thought Mueller would now be free to discuss the Stone case. That doesn't seem like that's quite true. And you don't think he should testify. Can you tell us why? Sure. So, you know, uh, first of all, Bob Mueller was my direct supervisor at the U.S. Attorney's Office in Washington, D.C. I mean, you know, it's really interesting to me that before he came to our office in 1995 to try murder cases, he when he was with us, he was a line guy or a like a line gal, he went into court every day and tried murder cases. And mind you, this is after he had been the U.S. attorney in Massachusetts, the assistant attorney general for the entire criminal division, nominated by George Bush and confirmed by the Senate. 
having supervised things like the um, Noriega prosecution and the John Gotti prosecution, he then said, you know what, I just want to go be a homicide prosecutor in Washington, D.C. So he came all the way back down to the line with the rest of us. And uh, he then, not long after coming to our office, he ended up being chief of homicide when uh, our then U.S. attorney, Eric Holder, needed a chief. And he became my supervisor. So for a couple of years, I worked day in and day out with Bob, learned from him how to be a homicide prosecutor, learned how to run the homicide section, a job I took over a few years after he left. I'm biased. I find it hard to criticize Bob Mueller. However, I also have a clear-eyed view of, I think, the situation and the man Bob Bob is. So here, here's my take on it. Um, and I'm sorry for the long preamble. No, um, no, So no, Bob um, was the single best, strongest, most supportive, and most demanding supervisor I ever worked for. But, you know, he was never fond of public speaking. He's a man of few words. You go into his office and you're going to get, yes, no, do it, now get out. I, I added the get out part. He was very polite. Um, so as we could all see, I think, during his first appearance before Congress, um, he's not a comfortable public speaker. It's not something he ever sought out. More importantly, um, you know, even back when he was the director of the FBI, a position he took a few years after leaving the U.S. Attorney's Office in D.C., um, you can go back and look at his old congressional appearances. Even, you know, decades ago, he was not a comfortable public speaker. Um, but the, my, my concern is that when I saw Bob um, first speak publicly as special counsel, which was after he issued his report, I, I think it was after um, A.G. Barr lied about his findings and conclusions to the American people, mischaracterizing what Mueller found, spinning the report in order to protect the president. Bob Mueller, of course, spoke out about that in writing, but he also gave a short press conference. And when I saw him speak, my heart sunk. And this is the elephant in the room that not a lot of people are willing to, to, to talk about. But, you know, his communicative abilities were so, um, so degraded as compared to how he used to communicate. He's obviously struggling with some sort of health issues. That came through, I think, in his congressional appearance as special counsel. You know, if you'll remember, there was a whole lot of waiting between the time his report came out and the time he finally came in and testified, and people got very frustrated. Why isn't he coming in and speaking out? Well, once he began testifying, you could see why. He struggled. He, his memory was, was failing at times. He was not a strong communicator. And unfortunately, his work didn't speak for itself, which it should have. His report should have spoke for itself, which is exactly what he said when he first stood up and spoke publicly. He said, my report is my testimony. He didn't want to testify, and he certainly didn't want to go beyond the four corners of his report. So when he did testify, it was not a compelling performance. And unfortunately, you know, in this day and age of everybody's got to look good on primetime TV, it fell flat, in my opinion. Not the substance of it. For God's sakes, in volume one, he found sweeping and systematic interference by the Russians and he, in the 2016 election, and he found a Trump campaign that was entirely willing and welcoming that nefarious interference. And then in volume two, when you read it, you can reach but one conclusion. He also found sweeping and systematic obstruction of justice by Donald Trump to cover up his crimes and to misdirect the special counsel's investigation. So when Bob Mueller issued that report, he, he, he did two things. 
One, he referred impeachment uh, charges to Congress, and Congress failed us because they did not impeach Donald Trump based on what were up to 10 federal felony obstruction of justice offenses, meticulously documented by Bob Mueller. Instead, what did Congress do? They gave him a longer leash. They put him on a longer lead so he could, I don't know, go out and bribe President Zelensky with congressional money to try to get Zelensky to announce a bogus investigation into Joe Biden, Trump's political opponent. So that's what he got impeached for. Had they done, had Congress done what it should have done, and impeached him based on the Mueller report, we probably would not be where we are today. But Congress failed us. The second thing Bob Mueller did with, with his report was he gave us a blueprint for Donald Trump's prosecution come January, plain and simple. And I only hope that the next administration doesn't fail the American people by declining to prosecute Trump and all of the other political criminals that we've been living with for the past few years. I don't believe Bob's testimony, if he were called again before the Senate Judiciary Committee, would add anything to the mix, but it would hurt, I think, the cause in a couple of ways. One, people would, you know, it would give Donald Trump a talking point that, oh, they're just trying to retread and rehash the old Russian hoax, and you see they have nothing else, and they have to fall back on what has already failed. Now, that will resonate with Trump's ever-dwindling base, for what it's worth. And the other thing is, I suspect Bob Mueller is probably, you know, he, he probably continues to struggle with whatever health condition, you know, caused his performance to fall so flat and be so unconvincing. And I hate to say these kind of things, but it's, it's the truth. When I saw Bob testify, he was not the same person that I worked for 15 or 20 years earlier. Um, and I, I, I fear that his condition has only worsened, and I don't think it serves any purpose by putting him back under, you know, back under oath, back in front of the cameras, only to have him struggle again. Mm. Yeah, so let me tell you my thought process on this, because it's changed 76 times um, for, <laughs> based on new information. Uh, isn't that weird? When you get new information, you can change your position? It's weird. Kind of the way it's supposed to work, right? Yeah. Uh, see, I, I, for one, personally care more about the future prosecution's integrity than what Trump and his base think. I'm like, fuck them. Uh, but my first position on this last July was that he should testify. Get Not, not because he's going to give us any new information, but he's going to get it on television, right? Just get it out there on, on, on TV. And for this time... Uh, I said, heck yes, he should ch testify when, you know, when Lindsey Graham gave his th thumbs up this week uh, and mainstream media be damned for their characterization of him as having no pizzazz or no razzle dazzle. Uh, but, you know, and the reason I wanted I wanted that was because I thought uh, mistakenly that because the Stone case is over, that he would be free to talk about things he wasn't free to talk about last July. Many of his, the, many of the things he couldn't talk about because of harm to an ongoing matter or open an ongoing investigation. Uh, but Joyce Vance just informed me that because the case is under appeal and because of other potential crimes that Roger Stone could be prosecuted for later, uh, that you don't want to taint, you don't want to give prejudicial uh, appeals ability to any future prosecution against Roger Stone or the president himself. So now I'm back at, you know, in the camp after having found out that he can't discuss those things still, even though they're unredacted in the Mueller report. Uh, now I'm back 
with with y'all for prop you know for different reasons but you know now i tend to to agree i mean it's a very like why why at this point because it's not going to nothing he says is going to get trump out any sooner than when when we vote him out and we have to do it in numbers too big to manipulate uh you know what i mean so like why run the risk of putting him up there and have lindsey you know pummeling with obamagate questions you know it just now it seems to me over the last oh gosh 30 minutes that you're that you're right it's probably a bad idea yeah and i think you know my belief all along was that when bob Mueller said when he first stood up and spoke publicly as special counsel that 10 minute press conference in which he took no questions he said my report is my testimony and i agree with joyce that unfortunately because roger stone had his sentence commuted and he wasn't pardoned he still has a privilege and he says he's still fighting his conviction and frankly he retains his right to appeal his conviction even if he does it from you know his cushy home rather than a jail cell um so bob Mueller wouldn't go into those matters but bob Mueller, once he says my report is my testimony even if he was free to venture into other areas, I'm not sure he would do it. I think he would have said, listen, folks, I told you all once, you can call me 18 times in front of Congress. My report is my testimony. So I don't think we would have, you know, even setting aside the Roger Stone privilege issue, I don't think we would have gotten anything more out of Bob Mueller. So I really, I think for every conceivable reason, there's, there's no there's no good that can come of it, and there's plenty of bad that can come of it because, you know, as you just said, they will turn it into, you know, a, an absolute circus, a dog and pony show asking irrelevant questions to try to either make Bob look bad or get more disinformation into the public square. So right now what we get to do is vote in numbers too big to rig, and then we get to begin investigating, indicting, and prosecuting every last flipping political criminal that has just – completely, you know, disrespected, disregarded and demoralized America and the American people for the last three and a half years. Yeah. And I can tell you a lot of people are upset with the previous handling of the Mueller investigation, the current, you know, wondering why he doesn't come out and just, you know, say Donald Trump lied to me. He's a criminal. Uh, we've you know, we've we've talked about what Bob Mueller said specifically about that in his report, saying he doesn't want to taint future investigations and Congress needs to do its job, which they didn't. But I think what will truly upset a lot of people is that if with all the patience and not talking and secrecy and going by the book that next year, if that if 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 that doesn't bear fruit uh, in, you know, in the sh- in the form of, uh, you know, indictments and prosecutions, I think people. I think people will look back and be upset at the level of not speaking out. Although Andrew Weissman's writing a book in September and he says that the the investigation made some mistakes. We don't know what in what context he's talking about, but I think it's really really important that Joe Biden is committed to going after these cases because we have Otherwise, it seems like it's all for naught. Yeah. And, you know, I was involved in lots of investigations in my 30 years as a prosecutor, and every single one of them, I'm sure I made some mistakes. I know I made mistakes. So it's not surprising that that Weissman would say that. You know what? You want somebody to testify? I don't know if Weissman is the right person, but get somebody who was intimately involved in the investigation, who has, you know, the the sort of the force of personality and of uh, conscience and you know, the backbone and the will to give it to these people, these these senators straight 
and you know let, let's let that person testify instead of Bob Mueller if you want anybody to testify um, but you know some people say you know you sent Bob Mueller in you know you sent a Boy Scout to do a hitman's job and I understand that because Bob is the king of circumspection mm-hmm. maybe to his own you know maybe maybe to a fault sometimes but <sighs> if you start sending hitmen in to do the job of our republic, then everybody's going to end up being killed at the end of the day. We need Boy Scouts to continue to abide by the rules, even when the other side doesn't. Mm-hmm. And we did have Zelensky testify about, you know, the, the pressure that was put on him in, uh, in in the Department of Justice. And so, you know, it's I think and what did it do? You know, I mean, I, I hate to I hate to be like a downer because I'm never that. But we're not all up in arms and, and, you know, demanding another impeachment. It's it's just all about getting the truth out there to arm the citizenry with facts so that they vote, um, so that they can vote. Yeah. Well, I just hope, I hope that, that Biden, who has already gone on record as saying there will not be a pardon for Donald Trump, I hope he creates the Trump Crimes Commission, and I hope we see the Trump trials, and I hope it is as far-reaching as the Nuremberg trials, because these people have done everything they can to destroy our our republic, and they need to be held accountable come January. Yeah, and if he doesn't, I think that just sort of shits all over Mueller's keep reining it in, and that would would upset me greatly, and (laughs) I hope that that, that, uh, it doesn't go that way. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much. Uh, how, t- almost 30 years of experience in federal prosecution. Um, and uh, our MSNBC contributor, Glenn Kirshner, where can people find you? You're doing this awesome YouTube crime a day thing and people need to get on that train. What, what, tell us where it is. So my YouTube channel is just my name, Glenn Kirshner, and uh, you'll see the banner Justice is Coming. I put up a video every day, uh, the, the Trump crime du jour or the Bill Barr abuse of the rule of law du jour or I, I actually had to take a little um, side detour into, you know, Betsy DeVos's Ugh. September child death march back Ugh. to school. So I try to call out the administration on all of their crimes and corruption, but I would need about 124 hours in a day to squeeze it all in. But please go to YouTube. It's just my name, Glenn Kirshner. And if you can su- subscribe, I would greatly appreciate it. How about that Dana Bash, too? She just wouldn't let her off the hook. <laughs> I love it. I loved it. It was great. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much. It was great talking to you. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with Jordan Coburn and the Good News Block. Stay with us. Hey, friends. It's AG, and this Helping of Daily Beans is brought to you by Sunbasket. Like any rational, normal person, I've been socially distancing, working from home, reducing unnecessary trips out. And if you're like me and you're trying to avoid crowded grocery stores right now, uh, I recommend trying Sunbasket. Sunbasket delivers healthy, delicious meals straight to your door, and it is a perfect and tasty solution for these COVID times. Sunbasket has amazing recipes for all kinds of dietary preferences, including paleo, gluten-free, Mediterranean, vegetarian, and more. They make it easy and convenient. Everything is pre-portioned, ready to prep and cook. Uh, You can enjoy a dinner full of organic produce and clean ingredients in as little as 15 minutes, no matter how much experience you have in the kitchen, which is perfect for me because I have no time and I burn jello. Each week, Sunbasket offers a wide range of recipes to choose from. So you can try, you know, a Hwasan steak strip lettuce cups with pickled daikon carrots or black bean tostadas Diablo with cabbage slaw and guacamole or slow roasted salmon with miso glazed eggplant. It's so good. And you can order from any recipes across their menu or you can skip a week if you need to or double up on your favorite ones. And Sunbasket facilities have the highest level of food and employee safety. This is so important to us. They reinforce strict adherence to operating procedures and have increased sanitization frequency in 
their distribution centers to protect you and your family and their employees. And right now, Sunbasket is offering $35 off your order when you go to sunbasket.com slash dailybeans and enter promo code dailybeans at checkout. Go right now to sunbasket.com slash dailybeans and enter promo code dailybeans at checkout for $35 off your order. That's sunbasket.com slash dailybeans and enter promo code dailybeans. All right, everybody, welcome back. Thanks for sticking with us. Uh, it is time for the good news. Well, we'll float on good news is on the way. And joining me today for the good news is Jordan Coburn. Jordan, how's it going? Hey, good the same. <laughs> good the same. Good the same. Uh, we have a lot of good news today, so why don't you kick us off? Sure. Uh, so our first piece of good news comes from Joy on Twitter. Joy posted a link uh, from allianceforscience.cornell.edu. It's a link to the Cornell University Science blog about how the pandemic is unlocking a lot of Africa's research potential, like the development of a COVID test that only costs a dollar. Turns out many areas are experienced in knowing to ha- how to handle outbreaks of deadly viruses in Africa, so there is a lot of scientific infrastructure in place for this particular pandemic. Here's a quote from the article. African scientists' work has progressed despite infrastructure limitations, including the lack of proper laboratories and equipment for research. One country that has demonstrated the ability to rise to the challenge is Senegal, which has developed some of the world's most affordable coronavirus testing kits and 3D printed ventilators. A Senegal laboratory developed the $1 test kit and $60 ventilator using its experience in dealing with HIV, AIDS, and Ebola outbreaks. Thank you so much for sharing that, Joy. That's... um yeah, that's like one of those uh, positive outcomes that comes from a really shitty situation that they've been forced into dealing with such horrifying pandemics with not enough support, not enough outside support and having the conditions for those pandemics to spread as widely and as intensely as they do there. But that's amazing that they've that they've done that. And thank you so much yeah, for sharing that. Maybe we can repost that on our Twitter or something so people can read that. Yes, thank you very much for sharing that from Joy. Um, and next up from Chris, pronouns he, him. My friend volunteered for the COVID vaccine trial that the UK is running. Things are apparently still going very well, though she doesn't know if she got the active shot or not. As someone who, sh- who is shielding and has only been able to leave the house four times in the past four months, I'm really grateful to people like her who are volunteering in a way that I cannot. As a side note, and I'm sure, I'm not sure if plugs are allowed, she'd be a great person to have on your podcast if you wanted a view of what's happening on uh, this side of the pond. Her name is Kate Smurthwaite, uh, and she's got a great comic and feminist activist. She's a great comic and feminist activist, among other things. She's yeah. at Cruella1 on Twitter. That's cool. So we'll definitely give her a follow. Seriously, yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, I have such reverent, like, so much respect for the scientists that are all hands on deck right now and the people like Kate that are jumping in to help. Um, next up from Anonymous, pronoun she, her. Hello, MSW. I have been a listener since the Mueller days. <laughs> I imagine that's a reference <laughs> spelled M-E-W-L-E-R. So, yeah, that's got to be a reference to how we were calling Mueller Mueller for a long for, time. For like the first three episodes or yep. whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and never, I never miss an episode. I am an EDRN at a level one trauma center in a current hot zone, and it is crazy and sad and scary. People look at raw numbers, but they don't tell the story of what's going on in the inside. I haven't seen this many patients this sick in my 12 plus years. Plus, having to keep these patients for sometimes days in the ED instead of quickly being able to send them to the ICU is just draining. On to the good news... 
One of our amazing physician assistants got a small care package from a friend and it meant everything to her to know someone was thinking about her. So she started a gift box with items curated specifically for healthcare frontline workers. This includes stuff like badge holders, candles, water bottles, etc. It's called Honeybee Giving. You can go to www.honeybeegiving.com or at honeybeegiving on Instagram. You can buy a box for someone specific in your life or you can donate a box. It is a wonderful way to say thank you. I'm so amazed at people who find the time to do these types of things and put something positive out there on top of everything else going on. I could barely shower on my days off. This woman is so happy and positive all the time. Kind of coworkers and great with patients. Hopefully getting her some traffic is the very least I can do to help. Even if you can't donate or don't have a healthcare worker to buy for, just follow on Instagram and sharing would be amazing. P.S. Jordan's reaction to learning new things is everything. <laughs> there should be a compilation mix. It makes all the badness <laughs> melt away. <laughs> That's funny. It's a lot of what? What? <laughs> Uh, um that's so great i'm gonna do that i'm gonna go i'm gonna go buy one and donate one right after we finish this thank you so much head to again www.honeybeegiving.com nice yep awesome yes thank you um next up from anna pronouns she her some uh, good news for the progressive world my name is anna and my boyfriend is running for the house of representatives in kansas a real grassroots movement. The campaign is fairly underfunded and understaffed as we are just mid-20s college kids. He is a gra- He's in graduate school for political science at KU and also uh, helps teach the introductory politics class. His name is James Winholtz, Winholitz, uh, and he's pushing hard for the Green New Deal, nationalized health care, and major justice and economic reform, really reform of all kind. To say that I am excited for him is an understatement. He's running against the mayor of Topeka, Kansas, Michelle De La Isla, in the Democratic primary on August 4th in our state's 2nd Congressional District. Whoever wins that would probably uh, take on incumbent Steve Watkins, a corrupt Republican who's been under scrutiny for illegal campaign contributions. Uh, I'm from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and after George Floyd was murdered, we went up there to help distribute an aid, distribute aid and supplies. We raised money and people donated stuff here in Kansas to bring uh, bring us up there. or donated stuff in Kansas to bring up there. I feel so grateful to have the ability to do something for my communities, even though it's small and I'm only 22. I have loved politics and government since I was a kid. I grew up with an extremely left-wing father, loyal to MSNBC. Uh, That's probably why I love Matto so much, if not more than AG. Although I have proven better at history than politics, it's been a learning experience for me nonetheless. I cannot wait to see what happens and watch him pull the party left because God knows we need more socialist Democrats. Get involved in your local government, you guys. It's worth it. It will make you like your like minded. You will make like minded friends along the way and it will bring you closer to the systems we've established to serve us. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, 22. That's incredible, Anna. Wonderful. And um, shout out to James uh, Windholitz. Um, for running against that incumbent, hopefully wins that primary and gets to run against that criminal incumbent. Ugh. Yeah, that is so badass. Brave and awesome. I had a friend that ran for city council a few years ago, and that was such a cool process to watch him go through it. And he didn't wind up winning the seat, but it was like so inspirational and everything. He got relatively close considering he was just, you know, a young person and a, a relatively uh, historically like older district and um i love that thank you for sharing that and i hope people are considering running for local offices because if not you it's going to be some other shitty person that's going to go in and do a crap job and ruin everything so you know think about it 
Maybe. <laughs> Next up from Debbie, pronoun she, her. I'm so happy. After living in Rhode Island for six years to earn a PhD at Brown University, my son is moving back to Colorado to take a job as a data analyst with Boulder County. I already thought I was fortunate to be able to work from home through these pandemic times, but now I truly feel I'm the luckiest person on the planet. Yay, Debbie! That's so rad. Ooh. Yes, and congrats to your son for getting that PhD. That's dope. Man, everything just worked out. Everything just worked out for your whole family, it seems. Or at least you two, for now. Right now. In life. Yeah. Good job. Six years is good. Mine took seven or eight, so. Yeah. High five. Yeah, totally. Um, Thank you, Debbie. Next, from Jody in Canada, she, her, uh, good news slash confession. I love these good news slash confessions. The good news is that my province has had... Uh, not had a new case of COVID in 13 days, and we only have one person left considered active. If our streak holds, the whole province will be COVID-free, for a bit anyway. We're very proud of our chief provincial public health officer and chief nursing officer who have led us to this point. Confession. I feel horribly guilty about being happy about this because so many are suffering. I feel bad about getting my hair cut, enjoying my pontoon boat on my lake, and being able to see some friends in a small bubble because I know so many cannot. I feel like I can't really talk about anything I'm doing to people outside my province and particularly outside of Canada because I don't want to gloat. My message is to those in different in a different situation is that science works. If you really follow the guidelines, you can get there as we did. I don't think you should feel guilty uh, at all. Um, you do the work, you put in the work, you know. But of course, I think a lot of people who are struggling right now did put in the work and it's those who chose to be assholes about it uh, that that screwed it up for everybody else. But uh, honestly, I, I I I know how you feel. It's that survivor's guilt. It's that I I want to talk about how much you know fun I am having, but there's so many people who aren't. I I feel that, and I don't have that. I don't have the right answer for that. I've you know we've never been in this kind of a situation. Everything's so new. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I say talk about it for sure because first off, it brings hope to know that this is happening. Like anytime I hear about this, you know, my first thought is always like, dope. Yes, let's get there. Let's like get this shit gone. You know. And and as it's also proof that if you do the right thing, like you said, it works and the results are very profound. So I say talk about it, talking about stuff. I always opt for talking about things versus not talking about things and, and you know, feeling I don't think you should feel guilty um, at all for talking about it. So uh, but I appreciate that you're contemplating that. Uh, OK, yep. finally, from Phil, pronouns he him for Jordan to read. Nice. I can expect a lot of letters in these words. Uh, Dear AG, (laughs) Jordan, and Amanda, I'm a huge fan of all three of you. I was falling asleep to your podcast before it was cool, but this good news is for Jordan in particular. (laughs) But this good news is for Jordan in particular. I really hope that she has the opportunity to read it. Your hope is granted. Here I am. Like many people, I have taken being stuck at home as an opportunity to try my hand at gardening for the first time. It's been a real success so far. Every one of my tomato, pepper, and of course bean plants has begun bearing fruit. However, the real good news is that it has led me to meeting this little guy. See attached photo. Okay, the photo is an adorable... Well, I imagine 
Phil will go on to say exactly what kind of animal it is, but it looks... Oh, yes, yes, perfect. Okay, here mm-hmm. we go. It's adorable as shit. Uh, here we go. This is the first time in my <laughs> life... <laughs> uh, this is the first time in my life that I had actually seen one in person. I mean, obviously, I've seen the one co-starring in that Bill Murray film, so this is a groundhog. Uh, his name is Dumbledore, which, of course, makes him the headmaster of Groundhogwarts. Yes. The other names I had considered were Norris, think about it, or simply Chuck. <laughs> I love that. In parentheses, think about it. Uh, or simply Chuck. The advantage of that of the last option is that it would have allowed me to ask people how much of Chuck the Woodchucks would Chuck the Woodchuck could Chuck if Chuck the Woodchuck could Chuck Chuck the Woodchucks would. Yes! I now know why Phil wanted me to read that. Uh, however, I <laughs> I realized that I would still get to say it just by telling this story as I am doing right now. In any case, Dumbledore it is. He appears to have a burrow under my porch, and I am hoping a second one pops up so that he can be Professor Pomona Sprout. All of this is obviously a sign that one can stay physically isolated with minimal human contact for months on end without going completely round the bend. All three of you, keep up the good work. You are a constant source of valuable information and needed comfort, a real gift to the country. All the best to you and yours, Phil. Thank you so much for sending this adorable photo. And that is so sweet. You got to write like a you got to write a short story about your 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 newfound friendship with a groundhog with a Dumbledore. I, I feel <laughs> Woodchuck. Yes, I feel, you know, it's only that's only a project that you could justify to yourself doing in quarantine, befriending an animal and writing a story about it. That's, uh, if you feel inclined, if you want to write a story, we'll read it on the air. <laughs> that's, um, <laughs> cutest, cutest shit though. Thank you so much, Phil. Yeah. And that's it. Phil. Phil from Groundhog Day. Yeah. Love it. All right. Those are our good news stories. Um, thank you for sending them in. If you want to send us your good news stories or your quarantine confessions or ideas for the themes for our happy hour meet and greet live streams on Fridays, just head to dailybeanspod.com and, you know, in the contact area there, you'll have a drop down menu for all the different things you can submit, including corrections. Uh, we had a corrections clip today. So uh, let us know what you think. And that's how we communicate. And also follow us on Twitter at dailybeanspod and at Muller She Wrote. Um, anything else, Jordan? Any final thoughts? No, not for today. All right. Well, everybody, uh, until tomorrow, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been AG. I've been Jordan Coburn. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by AG and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by AG, Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. <laughs>